Uh, John chapter 9, verses 18 through 23. And what we've been doing is not on. I'm not on. What we've been doing is preaching through the story of a man who was born blind. And Jesus heals him by spitting on the ground, forming... There you go, right there. And the disciples and the neighbors don't get it. And the Pharisees don't get it. And this morning we'll discover that his parents do not get it. So, here we go. The Jews, the Pharisees, did not believe that he had been born blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but we do not know how it is that now he sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. Let us pray together. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks for the gift of being together in this place. We pray that you would continue to speak to our hearts as the song of the West Virginians becomes our song through Scripture. And may, in our hearing of your word, may we become the kind of people who, by your Spirit, preach a sermon by the way that we live. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So, Alicia comes from a very large family. Her mother is one of ten children, uh, most of whom are still, their families are centered in a little valley in northwest Georgia to which we will travel after church uh, tonight to see her and then to be with her throughout spring break. One of the, I've shared with you before one of the, the great and wonderful aspects of the size of her family is the size of the meal that happens at every Thanksgiving and other family gathering. There is just an abundance of food that takes place at these gatherings. Another aspect of this large family and of the large family gatherings that we have is when you have 75 to 100 people from the same family who have gathered together and there are multiple generations There is always a baby there. A baby is always being born. And so that's just how it goes. And so what happens is not only at Thanksgiving every year do we have all kinds of foods to enjoy, but there is a baby waiting to be held by at least 50 people. (laughs) Right? However, historically, I have not been one of the people who wants to hold the baby. Why? Because I grew up in a tiny family. And once my brother and I were not babies, there were never any babies around at the family gatherings. And so I did not grow up with that comfort level of holding a baby. I was afraid to do so. Until we had babies. And then that fear of holding a baby shifts to a sense of fear of the Lord as in awe over the reverence of life. Awe at the gift and majesty of God's creative ability. Now, 
This is an example of a positive element of fear. Fear can be a good thing when it causes us to be attentive and protective of someone as precious as a little baby. Fear can be a good thing when it causes us to be in awe of something that really matters or someone that really matters. And that fear of the Lord as in reverence for God or for something or someone that God has made is a good thing. On the other side, however, fear can be unhealthy, it can consume us, and it can distract us from focusing on the things that matter most in life. And so part of our challenge, our journey in life, is to learn how to live within that tension of positive fear without it shifting towards those fears that lead us to live in ways that deny the glorious presence of God in our lives and in our church. I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that the parents of the man born blind truly loved their son. And I'm going to guess though the scriptures do not specifically spell it out, that when they saw that he could see for the first time, they were excited. And I can imagine what it felt like for his mother to see her son, see her with his own eyes for the first time. Can you imagine that? And can you imagine... His father, seeing his son, see him with his own eyes for the very first time. I can imagine his parents following him around and and wanting to take in everything that their son was seeing for the very first time. But, assuming that's how they felt, when the Pharisees called them in, kind of reminds you of being called into the principal's office, the way John describes it. And when the Pharisees called them in to prove that this is their son and that he was born blind, and when they interrogate, the Pharisees interrogate the man's parents, All of that joy over the healing of their son goes out the window and their fears take over. They are afraid of the religious authorities. They know that the religious authorities have said that that anyone who says that Jesus is the Messiah will be cast out of the synagogue. And and so, obviously, the, the parents are moving in that direction towards seeing Jesus as the Messiah or they wouldn't be afraid. And and instead of being thrilled, instead of being thrilled for their parents, for their son, and not caring what happened to them, they they act out of their fears. Any fans of It's a Wonderful Life, the movie in our congregation? This is one of those It's a Wonderful... Do y'all know It's a Wonderful Life? There's hope for the next generation. End of the movie. 
Jimmy Stewart is about to be arrested for bank fraud. And the bank examiner has come to his house and the police have come to his house. And he has new life because the angel has shown him that he really does have a wonderful life. And in that moment, he doesn't care that he's about to be arrested. He says, welcome, Mr. Bank Examiner. Welcome, police officers. You have a warrant for my arrest. Wonderful. Come on in, everyone. Zuzu's pedals. Some of you got that. <laughs> this is that kind of moment when the Pharisees bring in the parents of the man born blind. This is the moment for them to say, we don't care, you cranky Pharisees. We're going to kill the fatted calf and kill the old red rooster. Come on over for our party. We're not going to let you rain on our parade. It's that kind of moment. And the parents of the blind man miss, they miss their moment. Now, it's not that they're unreasonable in being afraid. It would have been a major thing for them to be tossed out of the synagogue. They had reason to be afraid of the religious authorities. The religious authorities could make their lives miserable. Yes, yes. But this is their boy. This is their baby. This is their son. And God has done a miracle in the life of their boy. And they cannot publicly embrace it. My guess is that most of us do not deal with this kind of fear where we can be punished for naming the name of Jesus as our Messiah and our Lord. We must always remember that there are sisters and brothers in Christ around the world at this very moment who do live with this kind of fear. We think specifically of those in the path of ISIS and Syria and Iraq and in Africa and other places where it really does cost one something to name the name of Jesus, in my opinion, we must never speak of discomfort for being a Christian in our society as persecution. We don't know what persecution is. It's our sisters and brothers in other parts of the world who really do follow Jesus under life and death circumstances. But most of us will never be in that position. Some of us, maybe many of us, well, lots of us, all of us before it's all over, do face very significant fears. Fears about our health or the health of someone we love. Fears about job security. Fears of fear about uh, decisions that someone we love are, are making and their unwise decisions. Relationship fears. Fear is a part of our lives. And it seems to me that most often those kinds of fears don't cause us to completely give up on everything and, and, and cower and, and, and fail to respond and do what we need to do in the midst of whatever it is we're facing. Sometimes that happens, but not always. 
Instead, it seems to me that most of us deal with the small fears that we let become big and they immobilize us in the same way that the parents of a man born blind were immobilized. We, we fear what someone thinks of us or might think of us and so we do not do that which we know we should do. We, we fear that Someone's opinion of us might be lessened if we speak this or that. We fear conflict so much that we value more instead a surface peace instead of having the difficult conversations that ultimately produce growth for ourselves and for our neighbors and for our community. We even fear, though it's very hard to name, growing closer and deeper in our relationship with God. Because we know that when we are honest and open, present with the Lord, that He will want us to change our lives. And we will discover those areas of our lives that are not preaching. We will discover those areas of our lives that are inconsistent with our faith. And so we even fear drawing closer to God because we know that we might have to change. And so this particular passage calls us to, to face our fears and to trust God, as Rachel said, in our future who is always, always with us. And to not follow the example of the man's parents. Notice what they do at the end of their conversation with the Pharisees. We don't know who healed him. He's old enough. Ask him. I love the way Alicia describes this in her Sunday school lesson for today. They are so eager to get off of the hot seat that they even will put their son on the hot seat in order to get off of it themselves. Can you imagine what the son is thinking when he hears mom and dad say, we don't know, ask him, he's old enough. Go ahead and throw me under the bus, mom and dad, thanks a lot. I really feel your love and support at this moment. They pass the buck even to their son. And how often do we do the same? Not hopefully to our children, but sweeping away the fear, denying it, pushing it off on someone else or something else. And the word of the Lord calls us today. Instead of doing that, sweeping the fear under the rug, get it out in the open, let the air in on it, face it, and with God's help, live through it. A little girl is on the diving board. She's at the edge. 
Her mom is in the pool, treading water, waiting for her daughter to jump in. Her dad is on the ladder, walking her up. First time she's ever gone off the diving board. She stands on the edge and her heart rate increases. Her heart is pounding. And she looks out over the edge. She wonders if it will hurt when her body hits the water. She wonders what it will feel like as she floats and falls through the air. She looks back at the ladder. She's tempted to walk back to her dad and walk down from the diving board. But then she looks at her mom in the water and just in that split second moment she takes the leap and she jumps in the pool and she goes under the water and she quickly pops up and she twists her head and her hair and ten feet of water goes all over the place and catching the people around her. And there is this grin that fills her entire face and her eyes are sparkling and she is full of life as her mother gathers her up in the water. And much more is going on than her simply enjoying her first jump into the pool. She is learning how to overcome her fear. She is learning how not to let fear dictate what she does. She is gaining confidence through this exercise, this leap of faith in the midst of fear. And she's discovering that what she was afraid of didn't turn out to be all of that bad. And it seems to me that most of the time, when we take that leap in the midst of our fears, things don't turn out to be nearly as bad as we thought they would be. And we discover that, yes, we can act in the midst of fear, and we do develop greater confidence as a result. And yet we also know that there are times when we act in the midst of fear, and the things that we're most afraid of actually do turn out. Bad things actually do happen, even when we're seeking to live courageously in the midst of fear. And what we discover then is it's still worth it. Because like the mother holding her daughter in the pool, God is still there. When our confidence grows and things turn out great, and when it doesn't turn out great, God is still there, holding us, walking with us, catching us, protecting us, enabling us to live the lives that preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, sisters and brothers, as we continue in this Lenten journey toward the cross, one aspect of our growth is individually and as a congregation to let our fears see the light of day so that we can learn to trust God and act faithfully even perhaps especially when we are afraid. In the name of the one who faced the fear of the cross, trusting God every step of the way, even Jesus.